This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Stephen Pesavento. And for as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. Investor Mindset listeners, welcome back. Really excited as we just continue to grow on the iTunes charts. Wanted to share a review from Piles of Paper. Great podcast, great guests, great questions. Love the transparency. You guys touched on areas that I need to work on in my own life. Looking forward to the next show. Well, thank you for the review and thank you to everyone who's been giving us support out there. Uh, It really does help push us up the charts on every review we get, every subscribe, and uh, every time you share it with a friend. So let's help pass along this investor mindset to everyone we can. All right. Welcome to the Investor Mindset Podcast. I'm really excited here. I have the famous, the one, the only Joe Fairless. Hey, Joe. Hey, looking forward to our conversation. Awesome. So Joe is an inspiring investor with over a half a billion dollars under management. His company, Ashcroft Capital, is growing rapidly in the multifamily space. Joe is the host of the best ever real estate investing podcast, the longest running daily podcast where investors share their best advice. He's a speaker, mentor, and author, and I'm super grateful to have you. Yeah, looking forward to it, and I'm glad that you invited me to be on the show. Awesome. If we take a look back, obviously, you're really successful. Half a billion dollars under investment is a huge number. But taking a step back, what events or influences from your childhood shaped who you are today, Joe? Oh, I'd say, I mean, one would be my parents' divorce when I was in fifth grade, fourth or fifth grade, because... I was actually very fortunate when my mom remarried. Uh, she married my stepdad, who treated me as a son, like a son. And my dad um, was also is also a really good man. So I was very fortunate. I had uh, basically two uh, really strong uh, role, uh, male role models, uh, and um, you know that that uh, allowed me to learn from you know different perspectives and um you know, so that that's one thing um another it's a pretty it's a pretty powerful thing right there you know the way that you grow up and the family that you have around how do you think that's kind of influenced maybe some of your relationships that you have today or or just the general direction that you're going i know how important it is to be um a good business person and yeah you know, i've seen both sides of the coin there on a good business person and a bad business person um, with uh, uh, you know the with, with my role models, and so I, I know what to do and what not to do, um, and you know so when uh, I, I love that this podcast is focused on mindset because I've realized that it's all it's not necessarily about the tactics it's it's about how I approach things mentally and really the story I tell myself when something doesn't go right. I'm a huge Tony Robbins a fan and uh, he talks about when, challenge, when you have challenges, then a good question to ask, and by the way, I didn't say problems, but when you have challenges, a good problem to ask yourself is what's not perfect well, yet? You know, you know, what's not perfect yet? Yeah, this happened, you know, but what's not perfect yet? And that it forces your mind to think about, you know, how can you make this into an opportunity? And there's a study talks about, um, 
you know, the uh, opt it compares optimists and pessimists. And um, um, more often than not, um, pessimists are more accurate in their assessment of their performance. You know, they are more accurate in, hey, I really messed up here um, versus optimists. They're less accurate in their actual performance. Um, but the, the eye-opening thing is that optimists far exceed the business results um, than pessimists do. Uh, optimists are far more successful business-wise, however that's defined, in this case I believe it was monetarily, mm -hmm. than um, pessimists. Optimists are much more successful. And the reason why is because they see what they did and they see, okay, yeah, I messed up, but um, how can I make this into an opportunity versus dwelling on, hey, this is, this is what I messed up on and that sucks. Yeah, that's really powerful. So there's two things right there. The power of the questions that you ask make a huge difference. So you just reframe something into being an opportunity. Where do you feel like you started learning that stuff first and foremost? Obviously, we're both Tony Robbins fans. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we share that kindred spirits at heart. Uh, but where do you first remember kind of getting turned on to that whole space? Well, I've always believed that there's a solution to anything. Uh, that is a core belief of mine. I didn't need Tony Robbins to tell me that. That is course, yeah. something I've, I mean, I remember thinking in college, um, so after I played uh, football in high school, I went, to in, I went to school in Texas, so pretty much everyone uh, plays football in high school. That's Big like football. a, yeah, that's a thing. And um, I wanted to play in college. Well, I um, did not get, you know, any scholarship offers uh, in col for college. So I ended up walking on or attempting to walk on, I should say, to a junior college called Blinn Community College in Brenham, Texas. I went to Blinn Junior College in Blen Brenham, Texas, and I attempted to walk on. I did not make the team. And instead, I uh, had a created a flag. I, I was a captain of a flag football team, and we won the cha we won the championship for Blinn <laughs> College in Brenham, Texas. But then I was like, okay, this still doesn't scratch the itch. So I I went to um, Mary Harden Baylor, uh, which is a Division three school, and basically anyone can play a Division three school because they don't offer scholarships. Well. I I remember training uh, in between you know walk, going to play at Mary Harden Baylor um, and you know having just left uh, Blinn Junior College. I remember training to you know be on the football team, and I was like, you know what, I anything is possible. I can make this team, um, and you know I I I say anyone can play. You know they'll, they'll probably kick you off if if you're terrible, but uh, they do need warm bodies for the most part of the, the time, and I made it happen. Uh, I was on, I I got on the team and I played a little bit and then I got that out of my system. Then I went to Texas Tech where I did not play uh, football for Texas Tech, but I um, just attended there and and loved the experience. And so I always had that mindset of hey, anything's possible. I remember my brother, my oldest brother, he played college baseball, uh, center field for a college baseball team, and um, he was very good in football too. And I remember when I was in high school and he was in college, and I told him I want to play football in college. Uh, he said, hey, and just the, the top athletes play football in college. You, you, you might want to try like baseball or something. And I remember hearing that. I remember thinking that I hear you. You're a very influential person in my life, but I just didn't believe him. And, um, you know, I, 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 
I ended up playing, um, granted, not at a high level as Division three, but ended up playing uh, for a little bit. And it, it was really just to really prove out that, um, that theory that I had that, hey, anything's possible. There's a solution to anything. It might not be the solution you envision, but the, the uh, fundamental elements of the solution uh, can be in place. And I think that's key in real estate investing too. You know, um, when, when issues come up or challenges come up, there's a solution. It might not be what you visualize or envision the solution to be, but the fundamental elements of the solution can be in place where you can move forward. Well, that's powerful. So you've obviously had quite a bit of success in real estate. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what your primary focus is as an investor and where you spend about 90% of your time? A primary focus is delivering the returns that we project on our current portfolio to our investors. I mean, that's number one. Not, nothing else is more important than that, that we deliver what we expect to, to deliver. And um, the way we do that is we have the right team in place. I'll answer your 90% question in a second, but I just got to elaborate on this. The way we do that is we have the right team in place uh, and I am part of that team, but I am not the primary person who's ensuring that we're delivering on our projections uh, because I do not have that skill set that is required to make sure that we're um, performing at the top level on our current portfolio. Um, mm-hmm. We hire team members on, our, on Ashcroft Capital, our team, who have years of experience doing portfolio management, asset management, and then they work with our property management companies. I think that's the key. You know, it is um, a bit of an ego hit to say, hey, I, I don't have that deep, ex- deep expertise that is required to perform at a world-class level. I mean, it sucks to have to say that, but it's true. Um, I have certain skill sets and I do very well for, I, I, I help our company in, in pretty good ways, focusing what, on what I'm very good at. And then I've learned through, you know, through the years managing the portfolio and overseeing things, hey, there's other things that bring on the experts who have that deep track record. So 90% of my time, while the primary focus for our overall company is to perform on our existing portfolio, 90% of my time is uh, speaking to investors uh, who are currently in our deals, Mm -hmm. as well as speaking to new investors who, are not, you know, who are wanting to participate in our deals. And I actually wouldn't say, yeah. I'll backtrack on 90%. I won't say 90% of my time. So I don't think any, uh, sure. 90, yeah. I'm, I'm not doing anything 90% of my time. Um, there's nothing that takes up that, that large of a percentage. There's not any one thing um, that, that would, but the majority. So it's really like at the end of the day, you're, what you're the best at is going out there and building relationships, building those connections and helping bring people that opportunity to invest in multifamily and that's that and you've brought in people behind you and built a very tight team considering how big you guys are to really go out and do what you guys have been able to do yeah exactly yeah that's that's incredible so talk to me a little bit about your philosophy because you know some people i know are top line folks they're looking at how can they grow as big as they possibly can and build these huge teams uh one philosophy, it works for some people. And I know you're thinking a little bit different. Tell us about kind of your philosophy and how you've built your business. I read a book, uh, I, 
it's titled something like Mistakes Millionaires Make, and it was written by a gentleman who is in YPO, Young Professional Organization. I think that's what the acronym stands for. After reading the book, I did more research on YPO, and I was sold. I mean, just a phenomenal organization from what I was reading. And so I applied. And you have to uh, meet a certain income level, which I meet. But you also have to have a certain number of employees in your company. And I did not meet that. And uh, so I did not get into YPO. And um, then for some reason, they followed up with me like a month or two ago. And they're like, hey, you know, we saw your application. So you you didn't get in because the employee thing. But if that should ever change, uh, let me know. I think it's like 50 employees you have to have, something like that. Oh, wow. Um, and so I, I told him, I said, I will never be in your organization. I, it sounds like, I mean, I would love it if I were, but I'll never meet that qualification standard because I never want to have 50 employees. Like, mm-hmm. it, it make, and to me, it's backwards that there would be an application process based on number of employees because I think that's just a, an, out, you know, an old school mindset that's just dumb because yeah. – you can have a successful business and have the right team members in place uh, and not have a large corporation and mm-hmm. I mean, quite frankly, have a better quality of life uh, for the yeah. most part. And so um, we certainly, if you factor in the uh, property management team and our on-site team members at each of the properties, I mean, we blow past 50 number of 50 people and, and, I mean, I have the ability to hire and fire all those people, um, uh, besides, obviously, the co-founder of my company. Um, uh, he, he and I are, are, are um, leading the charge. But on the ground, at the property level, I could if I chose to, um, but the property management company is the one that hires and fires them and, and manages them, and we manage the property management company, which is a beautiful thing. We do have a relatively small team but um, we have a small team that's under the Ashcroft Capital umbrella, and then we have a property management, third-party property management company that we hire out. So my philosophy is, you know, I don't want a, a large corporation. I never want that. I want a corporation that is um, it, it, that can scale and is set up so that we're scaling it the right way, where we're still spending time where we have. We're spending the time in areas that have gotten us to the point where we can scale um, because mm-hmm. I, I think that the next uh, step for most companies in our shoes would be to bring the property management in-house. Mm-hmm. And there's pros and cons to that, um, but uh, there's not a lot of profit margin in doing that, um, certainly not from property management fees. So then it's a matter of do you really want to bring, you know, what we have five employees, uh, 24, 60, like 250 or so people in house and deal with that for, you know, two and a half, three percent fee uh, per property. Uh, I mean, absolutely not. At least I, I personally don't. It makes so much sense, really. I mean, it's really attractive, I think, from an ego standpoint to get drawn into we control everything. They're all our people. We're the ones who are out there, you know, pulling all the strings. But at the end of the day, when you go and hire a vendor, it's almost as if you're hiring, you know, a full-time team member. 
You get yeah. to make the decision if it's not going to work, how you're going to make the change. And sometimes hiring people internal is, is, is a drag. It sounds like you're living a pretty good life over there and you've kind of built a lifestyle business around a very large scaling uh, apartment building business. I mean, how, um, uh, how, how, how good of timing was it that Colleen, my wife, was trying to come in the office while I was answering that? Because, that, I mean, I work from yeah. home and it's wonderful being around my wife. I got a five-month-old daughter and, you know, it, it's great because we're, we spend more time together than probably 95% of families in the United States. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a quality of life decision, but, um, now we do have a corporate office in New York Mm -hmm. city and, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the team goes into the office every day, Monday through Friday, Mm -hmm. but I've been able to design my role so that, you know, I don't need to do that uh, because it's, you know, my company I co-founded with my business partner. So, you know, we can create it however we want to. That's one of the benefits of uh, co-founding it, isn't it, Joe? So, you know, I, I feel like we share this same experience. Obviously, I think yours is a little different than mine. But, you know, early on in my career, I remember jumping into management consulting and finding a lot of success. And I started growing up that corporate ladder. And I escaped a little bit sooner than you did. But uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of way back, the Joe before real estate and how you ended up escaping the nine to five to start building your own thing? Oh, I, 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 my first job out of college was, um, I was an advertising major, English minor. I, I went to school at Texas Tech University and we, um, and, and I, my first job was at an advertising agency on Madison Avenue in New York City. I wanted to go to New York because I wanted to compete with the best of the best in advertising and that's uh, the perception at least is that's where the best of the best are in advertising in New York City. And so I wanted to start there. And I did. Uh, I was making $30,000, which was basically less than minimum wage when you factor in the hours I was working. But it was a great, great experience from a you know, resume standpoint and, and just learning. And I climbed the corporate ladder relatively quickly, ended up making $150,000, became the youngest VP of a New York City agency. Um, but then I just wasn't fulfilled. And so yeah. I, um, you know, I, I ended up... Um, buying single family homes along the way in mm-hmm. Texas where I was from. And I got the four homes. I started teaching people how to do that because people were asking. So I had a class on the side while I had my advertising job. And then um, I heard people say, and who are taking the class, if you ever do something larger, let me know. This is interesting, but I don't know about the single family home stuff. And so I realized I had customers before I had a product. And anytime you have customers before you have a product, they get a really good business idea. That's huge. That's really powerful because a lot of people will jump into things and, you know, I've started businesses that didn't go anywhere and I'm sure you've done the same. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have. But, it, but if, you don't, if you don't have anybody to buy your product, then what are you even doing it for? So if you get somebody on board early on and they're asking for it, then that's really great. So when you hit that point where you weren't fulfilled, what was missing and what did you, where did you end up finding that? Uh, well, I couldn't articulate it at the time, but I can now looking back and it was growth and contribution. I didn't feel like yeah. I was growing mentally. I didn't care about what I was doing at all. I was apathetic towards, you know, doing the stuff I was doing. And uh, I didn't feel like I was, what I was doing was meaningful. Um, you know, I just, and, and not that what I was doing couldn't be interpreted as meaningful, 
Mm-hmm. from someone else's perspective. So I want to be careful if someone's listening and they're in advertising working on, you know, creative campaigns or working on a 60 second spot or, you know, whatever. It can be meaningful based on how individuals are wired, but I didn't interpret it the way I was the way I'm wired as meaningful for what I was doing, so I knew I needed to do something else. Yeah, it's one of those things where anything can be a growing opportunity. Anything can be an opportunity to contribute and make a difference yep. uh, if you look at it the right way, but it's not always going to be a match for you. And so when you decided to take the leap and you know escape the nine to five, you're walking away from quite a bit. And even if you were making some money in real estate, I'm sure some people thought you must have lost your mind. Like what did your friends and family say when you finally said, hey, I, I quit the job? Yeah, I I have a, so I don't know if you can see in my, if you see in the background, but you see a uh-huh. blue wall with a bunch of stuff on there. Yeah. One of them is an email that I have printed out that I emailed my family whenever I quit or when I announced that I was going to quit. And it says, basically, uh, I came, I conquered, but now I don't care about it at all anymore. So I'll be putting in my two weeks notice, mm-hmm. um, in a month or so. I, I've, you know, it was like January 1st. Cause it, at the time it was in November. We put in my two weeks notice and, and uh, at, at the beginning of January, uh, as long as my refinance from one of my homes comes through, which it did. And, mm-hmm. um, I got, uh, one response. Well, I got responses from all of them. I, so I have two brothers and one sister and I sent it to my mom, and my dad, and stepdad. And I got responses from, I think everyone, but, um, my oldest brother, the one who, uh, mentioned the, uh, you know, great athletes and football thing. He's like, are you sure you want to do, <laughs> sure you want to do it? Um, you know, it's nice to be able to do it. But sometimes when you take a leap like that, uh, you, you don't have everything, already and then you could lose what you have already created to date and mm. um you know i i, I gave him I, I told him yes i'm sure and i told him you know a couple reasons why i forget what i said and he's like okay cool well hey um more power to you and um so yeah i mean and then but most but, uh, most others um were like all right well do your thing you'll you'll be successful um yeah. And even during the journey, uh, before you know we we reached the point where we're at now, um, along the way during the challenging times, you know I'd have a family member or two say, are you, "Are you sure you want to do this?" I mean, you could also like go into coaching or something, or you know if you don't like advertising more, you could you know do do other things like that. Um, and yeah, it's it's I'm very grateful for that because uh, that's helps fuel me even more mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't really need that because i'm really internally driven but you know mm-hmm. it, it adds fuel to the fire yeah yeah it's good to know yourself and know that you're internally driven but when somebody else brings up something like that and says you know are you sure is this really something that you should do it's almost like you know what i know without a doubt that i'm gonna go out here and i'm gonna figure out my way and i don't know exactly how it's gonna work mm-hmm. but i'm gonna but i'm gonna make it work and so that's really cool to hear your story. So uh, you're a guy who obviously has had a lot of success and, you know, being that you're, you're driven towards personal development, helping other people, I know you coach and speak and you obviously have one of the most famous real estate podcasts out there. What are some of the keystone habits, things that you do every day that you think make a big difference in your life? Daily journal. I've been doing a daily journal for like 
six and seven, three and a half, four years, every mm-hmm. single day. Um, I've, I've probably missed maybe eight, nine days for the last three, four years. Every day wow. I write down um, just what happened in the day. I tried uh, this year, I tried to make it a little bit more structured. Um, didn't work. I didn't like it. I didn't like filling. It, it felt more of a chore. So I was like, this year I put, um, you know, I, I, I'm feeling blank. I'm grateful for blank. I did that for a month to see how, how I felt about it. And I didn't like it because I just like it to be my, my thing. I just write whatever, whatever I did or whatever I'm thinking about or, you know, whatever's going on top of mind. And what's really cool about that and, and, um, um, and reinforces progress or lack thereof is being able to reflect back on a year from now. Here's what I was doing. Here's what I was thinking two years ago, three years ago. Um, mm-hmm. And Colleen uh, and my wife and I, we love mm-hmm. reading that. Now I read it to her uh, because I, it's my journal. So I might have some things that, you know, just personal for me, but uh-huh. you know, I'll read her mostly what we're up to, where we're at, what, who we were seeing that sort of thing. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and it also shows progress or lack thereof, uh, in certain things. That's number one. Number two, as I drink a liter of water with a scoop of wheatgrass every single morning, uh, I've been doing that for many years. Um, uh, and then, you know, three, I, I, I have a vision board. I've, I've kept a vision board for the last three, four years and I actually printed out on my wall. It's not the one behind me, but it's one right in front of me. You can't see it on the mm-hmm. camera but it's four feet by four feet. So that's a, wow. that's a large, large poster, very large poster with just images of certain things. And you know, one of the quotes on there is, what can I do today to be better than yesterday? And that's just a big old quote. Um, so I'm constantly focused on what can I do today so I'm better than yesterday because it's all about incremental improvement. That's really great. One, one more example of a, a question that you ask yourself that ends up turning things in the right direction. So I, I really like that. And it's, I think that's so smart. I, journaling is one of those things that I really need to add to my repertoire. I've, I've attempted it, uh, but I haven't continuously made it a part of my, uh, my morning or evening routine. Uh, but being able to have those magic moments and just see how your mind kind of evolves over time has got to be pretty, pretty inspiring. Yeah, it's just a Word document, password protected. And I just, I put the day's date and then bullet point and then I write something and sometimes it's a screenshot of something. I mean, it's no rules, just, just simple word doc with a bullet point on the day's date. That's great. That's really powerful. So we're at the end of the show here. We have the growth rapid fire questions, which aren't really rapid. Uh, three questions here for you, Joe. What's a book that's impacted your life or one that you're most excited about right now? Oh, I'd say Crucial Conversations how to communicate when the stakes are high and the opinions vary and cliff notes version is you establish a mutual purpose and then you build up from there. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a new one for the list. I'm definitely going to add that in. So talking purpose, Joe, what's your purpose? Why do you do what you do? When I have, when I die to have on my gravestone, um, that people were better off having come across me than not. I want people to say, you know what? I'm glad that, you know, I had some time with Joe and because I'm better off as a result of that. Uh, cause you know, the, 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 that makes me feel good. And that also means that I'm optimizing the skill sets that I have, um, mm-hmm. which leads to fulfillment and, you know, helps, helps with personal growth and, and business growth. Yeah. It's funny. It doesn't matter how much money you make. I mean, it definitely makes life a little bit better, but if you're not fulfilled, there's always that emptiness. There's always that thing that's missing. So it's good that you can help people out that way. So on a similar note, 
who is a mentor that's inspired you to live your best life every day? Could be a business mentor, could be a family member, could be a friend. Um, well, my, I just got done, or we, my, uh, my wife and a daughter and I just got done visiting my grandmother who is 103 years old and wow. living by herself, sharp as a tack, uh, doing phenomenally well uh, mentally. Um, and so, you know, learn from her visiting with her and her sister, uh, my great aunt is 98. She'll be 98 in a couple months. Uh, so, you know, just, you know, being with them and hanging out with them, certainly inspiring. Wow. That's really great. And one extra for you. What, from a mindset perspective, would you want to share with the audience after all the years and people that you've interviewed? Uh, I, I think you take all the free advice you can get and then you decide what you want to do with it. Uh, advice is based on the perspective of the person giving the advice and mm -hmm. it might not fit you at that point in time, but it's good to listen to their perspective and what they have to say it just might not be right for you, but you know, then you can filter out what works and what doesn't work. That's great. So take it all in and then figure out what, what's the advice you want to live by. I like that. So where can people find out more about you or get in touch with you, Joe? Oh, so uh, if you want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital and you're looking to passively invest in deals, you can go to ashcroftcapital.com. There's a form there, uh, or you can just go direct to investwithashcroft.com. Um, I think that's probably the best place. That's great. Well, guys, you just heard some great advice from Joe Fairless, incredible investor. Definitely check out the best ever real estate investing podcast. Incredible stuff there. And uh, Joe's been around for a long time. He's going to be around for a lot longer. So thanks for being with us here today, Joe. Hey, great. Glad we did it. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level.